0: Hey everybody, welcome to No One Told Me where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie and I'm just, I'm so happy to have you here. If it's your first time here, here's what we're trying to do. Every single week, we wanna take the stories and the experiences of either us personally or those we know and admire and we wanna share them. We wanna use them to equip and inform those who are coming behind us. So, you know, when you're like walking through those seasons and you look around and no one's really walking through it with you and you think I'm the only one to have ever faced this or is this as hard for everybody else? Is this as good or exciting as everybody else? It's these things that no one tells you about that no one talks to you about. Well, we want to tackle them all right here. We want to make sure that you leave here knowing more than anything else, you're not alone in whatever you're walking through right now. And honestly, right now, in this moment, if my hindsight tells me anything, if there's one thing I wish someone would have told me a whole lot sooner, it's that peace is cultivated. Okay, so stick with me. This has been kind of rattling around in my head for the past month or so, because I think I assumed that my peace would increase by chance, or it would just happen. If I wanted to function out of peace, well, then God would just give it to me, right? But here's the catch. He already has. He's already given us peace through Jesus. I've spent years treating peace as a commodity to be gained or earned instead of a seed waiting to be fed and watered. And so I want to address everything in 2022, whatever it has to offer or blindside me with, I want to address it from a place of peace. So over the next few weeks, we're going to cultivate peace. What grows this sense of calm and what causes it to wither? And I think we have to start with ourselves, hence a solo episode to start the series. See, I am one of the greatest threats to my personal peace, because I am personally aware of all the reasons I shouldn't have peace. Imagine what a person of peace could do on behalf of the kingdom, someone who knew how to cultivate peace, to grow it and to live out of it. The enemy, our enemy, could want nothing less for us right? like He does not want us to experience what this piece could be like. I recently read a post by Jenny Allen, who we all know is one of my favorite people. And she wrote about what happens in the face of hard battles, specifically, what we have to know about the enemy's secret strategy in our lives. Now I get it, right? Some people bristle a little bit. When I talk about the enemy, we don't really talk about him that much. So I get why it gets a little tense when he's brought up. Especially when we say like Satan or the devil. But we are naive to think if we don't talk about him, then he can't hurt us. His only aim is to hurt, push down, paralyze, destroy. And let me just get right to it. He'd honestly, he'd just prefer us dead. He doesn't want us doing anything that we feel called or purposed to do. But wait, before you hit stop or, you know, switch over to the easy listening of a podcast on pop culture. I just stick with me a little longer, okay? Because I think we squirm at the idea uh, or the conversations about the enemy because we don't fully recognize his work in our lives. So that has to be step one. Because make no doubt about it, he is at work, constant work. But it's not overt. That is why this gets uncomfortable. That is why we don't ever talk about it because it's not obvious, right? He's pretty subtle. So before you tap over to the sunnier side, I want us to just take a few minutes to just see if maybe, possibly, he's causing damage that, and here's some sunny news, that can be healed. Maybe, starting today, we can see him for what he is, a liar. But first, we have to see the lies that are being planted. Here's when I first started taking a look. As a college student, just an undisclosed amount of years ago, I signed up to be in a small group. Now, this was the first group that I signed up for because I wanted to. Other groups, I had been semi-coerced into by my well-meaning mother. And if you've ever lived in the South, that same scenario probably played out in your own home growing up. But I walked into a room where the small group was going to be, and there was this long white folding table. Chairs were surrounding all sides, and just a few other college students were sitting down with that respectable one chair between them. The leader came in. She was a short girl with long brown hair and the readiest of smiles, right? And she introduced herself as Lauren, and she started passing out the book that we were going to work through. Now, I don't remember the name of the book. Because as everyone who has ever been in a Bible study with required reading knows, I only read the book 30 minutes before I was supposed to be at the group each week. But what I do remember is an illustration. The book encouraged us to look at our hearts as a house. Every room in your house has a purpose. Your kitchen, it's for cooking. Your living room, for watching TV or reading on the couch. Your bedrooms, for sleeping. Your bathrooms, I'll just, I'll let you fill that in. And obviously, in most homes, some rooms are for everyone to see, and some are for no one to see. For example, the back room of my house, well, it serves as the home for like everything I don't know what to do with. So we just, you know, we pull that door closed whenever anyone comes to visit. But maybe you're super organized and you're like, no, every room has a purpose, every place, everything has a place, whatever. At the very least, I mean, just like, be honest. You have like a junk drawer, right, full of old pins, rubber bands, the gift card that still has 37 cents on it. And we guard these spaces. We want to keep them out of sight. Why is that? Well, I think on the base level, we don't want anyone to see our mess. We want to control what they see of us because we want to control what they believe about us. On a deeper level, we carry shame. The existence of the clutter makes us believe we've fallen short in some way. We're afraid the outside is a reflection of the inside. We don't want to explain, so we just close the door and distract with, you know, a themed charcuterie board that we spent two hours on. But what's at the root of the shame? Insecurity. Even the word makes me squirm. If I'm honest, I wanted to slam the door on it as soon as I wrote it. Shut the computer pretend it doesn't exist. Because what sits guarded by a closed door in my house reflects the barricaded door in my heart. What occupies this room I so closely guard the room where the door stays closed? Words, most spoken in passing, but used to form beliefs, deep rooted, heart shaping beliefs. Do you know the words I'm talking about? I think maybe you've heard them too. You try too hard. You aren't trying hard enough. Watch your weight. You're too confident. You're intimidating. Stop being so emotional. Don't ask so many questions. This room, it's a favorite of the enemy. I would venture to guess that you have this room, but it may look a little different. So I invited others to speak into what these closed off spaces look like for them. I asked, how does insecurity show itself in your life? Here are some responses. Sarah wrote about being a minority in her workplace saying, I feel like I don't belong. All I see is how I don't deserve to be there. Laura shared, I don't like looking in the mirror at its worst. One wrong look can set the tone for how I interact with the world all day. Kelly said insecurity shows up in her reflexive defensiveness. She's always reflecting a deep or hard look at herself with humor. Alicia spoke of the paralysis, the desire to shut down and just do nothing at all. Rachel mentioned sometimes so when others win, it feels like there won't be enough for her. Holly talked of the impact it has on her marriage how one small comet can send her into a spiral. I could keep reading because out of all of the questions I've posed on social media platforms, this one carries the most responses. Possibly because we've never cracked open the door for anyone else to see. Could it be we're just waiting to be asked, aching for someone to tell us what's true? Jenny Allen describes it this way. If I were your enemy, this is what I would do make you believe you need permission to lead, make you believe you are helpless, make you believe you are insignificant, make you believe that God wants your decorum and behavior. If I were your enemy, I would make you numb and distract you from God's story. So as we walk the hallways of our heart, seeing the wall of photos depicting God's kindness and faithfulness, sitting comfortably in his presence, dreaming and asking for his favor and all the could-be that we desire for the generations behind us. This room in the back, it stays closed off, cracking open on the days God sends us out. After the gentle reminder, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth, we are ready to carry his glory, but our boldness deflates as we catch sight of the light under the door. The reminder of what sits just a turn of a knob away. All the reasons why God could not possibly want to be with us, working through us. Highlights of my inadequacy to point to eternity. Last summer, a team of women came around a dream I so clearly felt was shaped by God to create a space for women to share their stories, their hard-earned lessons and wisdom from unexpected or unwanted seasons of life in order to equip those who may come after them. I was so stirred up by this desire to serve the women of my city that I could have sprinted laps around the city. You know, God provided a venue for every week. Anonymous donors covered the cost, a production company donated sound equipment, and women actually registered. I mean, that blew my mind. Like, they believed in it enough to click a link, fill out a form, and tell their friends about it. So when I had prayed so completely for God to orchestrate this, that it be his only, I didn't expect any of that. And somehow, his provision made me nervous. Thoughts like, he's asking too much of me. And who am I to think I'm the one to do this? The first Wednesday, it came way too fast for my liking. I mean, my stomach was just in knots, you know, like the knots that I had just taught my six-year-old to tie. That is what my stomach felt like. I wasn't ready. I mean, I didn't feel ready. I had studied and prepared the topic for the night, lined up a panel of incredibly gifted women to share their perspectives. Everything was put together except for me. If God wanted me to do this, shouldn't I walk in confidence and boldness, certainty? That room in the back, the door that I thought was so tightly sealed, had cracked open. While listening to Siri guide our turns to the venue, these silent tears just rolled down my face. My husband, Ryan, he glanced over and in complete confusion, asked, what is going on? In frustration, because he should just know I told him, all these women, they're going to show up and they expect something from me and I don't have anything to give them. And in his most gentle way, he responded, no, you don't. Okay, well, you know, I honestly, I saw that going differently. Like a classic, you can do it. That would have done the trick. But he went on. He said, Callie, where you end, he begins. See, I wanted to reverse earn the faithfulness he had already poured out. And when I realized that nothing I could do or plan would deserve all he had already done, I panicked. Confidence does not come from preparation. It doesn't come from checking all the boxes, from feeling like you're getting it as right as you can. Confidence comes from obedience. The certainty that you are taking faithful steps in his direction and his only request of me, his only request of you is obedience. All other requirements are man-made, me-made. And the greatest obstacle to obedience Distraction. Being reminded of all the reasons we can't drives us to numb knowing that we should. Ginny wrote more about this work of the enemy in our hearts. Technology, social media, Netflix, travel, food, wine, comfort. I would not tempt you with notably bad things, or you would get suspicious. I would distract you with everyday comforts that slowly feed you a different story and make you forget God. Then you would dismiss the spirit leading you, loving you, and comforting you. Then you would start to love comfort more than surrender and obedience and souls. See, no one likes a three-show new girl binge more than me. A moment or two to slow the rush of thoughts and feelings all scrambling for my attention. But These reprieves, they can be deceiving, offering up a diversion from our obedience, masked as a comfort we deserve. Relief at the price of muting the Holy Spirit. Ask yourself, why am I saying yes, I'm still watching? Why am I pouring another glass, scrolling another hour, eating another serving? Are these yeses keeping me from his yes? But maybe your insecurities, they don't drive you to hide. Maybe those words drive you to justify all you deserve by the work you put in. We celebrate what others are doing less. We criticize what others are doing more. The equation becomes a failure for you means a success for me. If we can't just prove we are valuable, if we can just take a minute and prove that we are valuable, maybe a few of those boxes hidden in the corners of that room would just unpack themselves. Listen to how Jenny describes it. If I were your enemy, I would attack your identity. I would make you believe you had to prove yourself. Then you would focus on yourself instead of God. Friends would become enemies. Teammates would become competition. You would isolate yourself and think you are not enough. You would get depressed and be ungrateful for your story. Or you would compare and believe you are better than others. You would judge people who need God. You would condemn them rather than love and invite them in. You would gossip and destroy and tear down other works of God. Either way, you would lose your joy because your eyes would be fixed on yourself and people instead of on Jesus if we can just prove we are valuable, maybe a few of those boxes hidden in the corners of that room would unpack themselves. Listen to how Jenny describes it. If I were your enemy, I would attack your identity. I would make you believe you had to prove yourself. Then you would focus on yourself instead of God. Friends would become enemies. Teammates would become competition. You would isolate yourself and think you are not enough. You would get depressed and be ungrateful for your story. Or you would compare and believe you are better than others. You would judge people who need God. You would condemn them rather than love and invite them in. You would gossip and destroy and tear down other works of God. Either way, you would lose your joy. Because your eyes would be fixed on yourself and people instead of on Jesus. The enemy is telling you that freedom is only found in finally proving to yourself and to the world that you are important, you are in control, you are liked, you are happy, you are enough. When we show people only what we want them to see, we will never be truly seen. If we worship at the altar of performance, aching to prove we're worthy to be seen, we will never be truly seen. Instead, we will be looking so hard at ourselves that the hearts of those aching for someone to tell them about the one who can restore, who can heal, will remain broken. Chalk one up for the enemy. When we're aching to prove ourselves, we've lost sight of our purpose. We've forgotten the threads of passion and gifting woven into us carefully and specifically by the creator who knows us best. Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In the quietness of his workshop, God saw all that would bring me to life. He saw the hearts of insecure, imperfect people carrying burdens that shaped them way before I took my first breath. He knew the wounds they would speak out of that would open new wounds in me. He saw the past, but he also saw the future. He saw the hard days before they were hard, the hurt before it hurt, the betrayal before the betrayal, the fear before the fear, where I would only see the dark He saw all the ways he would be light. He saw all the ways he would be faithful. And he picked the strands of thread I would need to walk through every season. A spool of softness to create a heart that is quick to forgive. Sturdy strands of resilience to carefully hold the fragile feelings of others. A length of passion for the next generation. Twine to bind his promises to every circumstance. And honestly, a hymn of forgetfulness that is great for my husband and very unfortunate for my kids' lunches. But if like Psalm 139 says, every day was written before it came to be, I must have, we must have exactly what each day requires of us. What we could not see, God saw perfectly I am striving to prove myself worthy of a purpose that he specifically designed me for. Do you see what I'm saying? I am trying to prove myself worthy of a purpose that he designed me to fulfill already. Whatever I think I don't have, he's already given. He's already given me what I'm trying to earn. What I think will silence the low-grade hum of insecurity quieted by that ever-closed door in the back. Insecurity holds power as long as the door stays closed. Death held power as long as the tomb stayed sealed. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. When Jesus first knocked on the door of your heart, he wasn't asking to see the rooms you thought were ready to be seen. He wanted to see every room, every mess, all the clutter, He doesn't force his way in. He waits for you to open the door. Every door. His voice is on the other side of that closed door, reminding you who he is and who you are in him. And while it may be muffled by the words of the past, his desire for you is thread through every layer of your present and future. The enemy knows your name, but he calls you by your insecurities. Jesus knows your insecurities, but he calls you by name. The names he gave you, beloved, chosen, redeemed. The room I walked into over 10 years ago, full of college girls sitting around a long white folding table, aching to figure out their place, but not sure who they could trust to walk beside them along the way. That one open door in the upstairs of a church would lead to an open door policy in my heart. Nothing is closed off from the creator of my soul. The one who cares and guards it better than any of my failed attempts could. The one who intercedes on my behalf. So when the insecurities tell me to hide, I've learned how to keep walking, sometimes crawling, instead of just numbing. The first conversation happens with the one who makes me worthy. Are the words that feel true actually truth? Would Jesus speak these words over me? The second conversation happens with the people God has intentionally put in my life, many from that first college group who pull me deeper. They are allowed to call out what is withering and call up what is growing. But there is one thing required in both conversations. Your ability to move forward, it hinges on this. Honesty. Honesty. Letting him and those he put closest to you see the mess you've been guarding. All the things you don't want to say out loud. All the things you don't want anyone to know because they're covered in shame or guilt. He wants to know. And maybe it's too hard to say them out loud. Maybe you just write him in a journal and put it at his feet and say, this is how I feel. And let him speak his truth over those. Because Jesus said, if we, if you and I, if we open the door, he will come in. That is the beautiful reciprocity of God. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Return to me, I will return to you. Abide in me, I will abide in you. Open the door, I will come in. And in the quiet moments, when I am alone, my hand softly trying to close that door of my heart, I borrow the last words David wrote in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.